Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I'm uh, thankful to be saved. I said, I'm grateful to be saved. How about you? How many of you are thankful that you belong to Jesus? Amen. How many of you can thank God right now that your name is not written in just any book, but your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you grateful for that today? Let me just hear you one more time. Just thank him. Just thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have given your life to Jesus? Raise your hand. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. How many of you have, well, I won't say it. But those of you that have given your life to Jesus, let me just see your hands one more time. Like Pastor said a moment ago, stand up and be counted. Just let me see your hands. Praise God. Praise God. There's a lot of workers in the house, Pastor. There's a lot of laborers in the house. If you raised your hand and you said, I belong to Jesus and I know him, guess what? You are enlisted in the army of the Lord. You are a servant of the Most High God. That means that your life should never be sitting complacent and your life should never be sitting without service to God. But we owe God our life of service. When Jesus saved me, church, the first thing that I was inclined to do was to serve him. When the Lord found me, when the Lord transformed my life, and when I I finally heard the gospel and I I heard those loving words that God loved me and that he sent his son to die for my sins, when I heard that and it penetrated my heart and I confessed one day and I declared him as Lord of my life, all of a sudden I was shifted from a life of just having no purpose to now being able to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I tell you something, church? There is no higher calling than to serve Jesus. I don't care what you are able to accomplish in this life or in this world. There is no greater calling than to serve the one who gave his life for you. Nothing greater. I don't believe in camouflage Christians. I don't believe in complacent Christians. Amen. That should be a good time to say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to serve him. It's time to serve him. It's time to serve him. God is so good and he's so worthy, church. He's our rescuer. How many of you were rescued? Man, I was rescued. Can I tell you something? I was a 13-year-old kid that wanted to commit suicide. And when I found Jesus, he rescued me. He rescued me. How many of you have been redeemed by the Lord? Guess what? You didn't earn your salvation. Your salvation was bought by the blood of Jesus. It was the highest price that could ever be paid for your life. And it was through the blood of Jesus. We're redeemed, are we not? Oh man, I'm going to preach this morning. How many of you know him as the restorer of your soul? I've known the Lord to be the restorer of my soul. Ever since Jesus took up residence in my heart, all of a sudden he began to restore things. To put things back in order. To reconcile my life back to himself. And if you know him as the redeemer, as the rescuer, and as the restorer of your souls, one more time, I want you to just thank him. Just thank him. Just thank him. Just thank him. You're not thanking me. Thank him for him. 
I put a small bottle up here, and I grew a new one, apparently. Praise God. I'll, I'll take it. Could Kayla, can I, can I ask you to open that for me, please? Everybody say, thank God for Kayla. Thank you. Amen. She's a warrior, that girl. She's an intercessor. Amen. She's a woman of God that loves to pray and intercede on the behalf of the saints. Amen. How many of you know that we need more intercessors? Amen. Because the power of the church comes through prayer. The power of the church comes through a surrendered life that says, I owe everything that I have to Jesus. I want to get into the word quickly this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. If I can remind you of, of the Apostles Paul's writings to the church of Ephesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. How many of you remember that time? You should remember that time because everybody, uh, I saw a bunch of hands raised that said they were saved. So how many of you remember before you were saved, you used to live and follow the ways of the world? Amen. It says, in the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, all of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, it says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Did you know that? We were by nature deserving of wrath. The moment that we were born into this world, our destination was hell. I'll say it again. The moment that you entered into this world, your destination was hell. We were sin bound. We were hell bound. And it says we were by nature deserving of that wrath. It goes on to say, but because of his great love for us. How many of you know that he loves you? It says because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It said, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. It goes on to say, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which the Lord has prepared in advance for us to do. How many of you remember that you were once dead in sin? How many of you remember that part of your life? For some of you, maybe it was years ago. For some of you, maybe it was months or days ago. How many of you realize, though, that your decision-making didn't save you? Your decision-making did not save you. Your choosing of him didn't even save you. He rescued you. He rescued you in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. Your church attendance does not save you. Amen. Abiding in a building and coming to a place week after week does not save us. Our service to God does not save us. It's just a part of my testimony, but ever since I got saved, I've served the Lord. And many of you that know me or have been in our ministry for long enough know that I do a lot of things. But ever since I got saved, the first thing the Lord compelled me to do was just to say, what can I do for him? How can I serve the Lord? 
whether it was through talents or gifts or it was through service to people or service to others, we should always be desiring to serve God. But guess what? Our service doesn't save us. Only Jesus. Everybody say only Jesus. Only Jesus can save you. Amen. The only thing that we did was receive the free gift of salvation that was offered to us. Amen. That's the only thing that we did. But he did it all. If I can remind you this morning, church, that he was sent to this earth by his father to redeem a lost and broken world. That's you and I. A world without hope, a world on a path to eternal damnation in hell. Every person in this world was created, though, for a relationship with God. Amen. How many of you remember Genesis? It talks about that. When the Lord created Adam and Eve, they were created to be in fellowship with God. But because they sinned, what happened? There was a separation between them and God. The Bible tells us that he came as a living sacrifice, that's Jesus, to die once and for all for the sins of all mankind. Every single evil deed and every single vile person, Jesus died for their sins. What a powerful truth. And did you know, church, that word gospel, how many of you have heard the word gospel before? That word gospel means good news. Everybody say, here comes the good news. The good news is this, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the most powerful truth of our faith. That while we were still lost, we were still hopeless, and while we were still hell-bound and on our way, to an eternal separation without Jesus, he died for us. He died for us. He died for us. That's the best news that you will ever hear. Amen? I said, that is, man, you should be more excited about that. Some of you are like, huh. Can I remind you that the cross and the work of the cross has not lost its power? I said, it has not lost its power. When we're more excited for some team to win a Super Bowl than we are for the Savior of our souls, there's an issue in the church. God loves us so much that he sent his perfect son, his perfect son, his chosen son, his begotten son, his treasured son, to die for our sins. Even though men and many men and many women would reject the truth of who Jesus is, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But we've received the gift of salvation so that our sin could be forgiven. And guess what? We could be made acceptable to this holy and perfect and righteous God. How many of you are forgiven this morning? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I ask this morning, church, that you would listen with urgency in your heart. You would listen with urgency in your heart in every Eye and ear would be open to hear the word of God today. Hebrews chapter 2, let's get into the word. It says this, we must pay the most careful attention 
That sounds like an important thing to heed, right? It sounds like an important instruction. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore so great of a salvation? Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word and your truth today. And Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you, Lord, to just speak through me today, Lord. I pray for every listening ear, God, every single heart in this place, Lord. I pray that the light of your gospel, Lord, just shines brightly, God, into every heart, Lord, that we might receive what you have for us today in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. The scripture brings two very strong points of emphasis here, and I want us to see this. It says, one, pay the most careful attention, and two, it says, how should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How are we going to be the ones escaping if we ignore what has been done for us? This great salvation that we received is our most prized commodity as the church. I'll say that one more time. It is the most prized commodity that we have. It is the greatest treasure. It is our anchor not only to keep us secure in Christ and to Christ, but from drifting away into an eternity without him. How many of you know the Bible says that if we remain in him, that he will remain in us? But guess what? That is a choice. Every day that you wake up and say, Lord, I'm going to remain attached to you. Every single day, God, I'm going to wake up and say, Lord, you are my anchor. You are the one, Lord, that I must cling to. We have to hold on to Jesus, church. We have to hold on to him. The salvation that you have found in him should alter your life. <laughs> the salvation that you have received should drastically change your life. If we took a poll about our life and we asked our friends and our family and said, am I a different person now that I know Jesus than who I was before? How many of them could actually say you're transformed? How many of them could actually say, yes, you're a completely different person? God has done an amazing work in your life. God has transformed you. He's, he's, he's just altered your life. You were headed this way, but now you're headed that way. The salvation we found in Jesus, it should be the very reason that all of your plans fall to the ground. The salvation that we found in Jesus should be the very reason for our transformation. This salvation, my friends, should not be ignored and it should not be reduced in any kind of way to a moment in time when you just needed help. See, a lot of times there's people that come to Jesus and they come because they're in a place in their life because they've gone through struggle or they've gone through pain or heartache. And that's the time that they say, you know what, I have nothing else, so I might as well turn to Jesus. But then the moment that their pain is healed and the moment that their heart is fixed, they drift away. So I say again, church, our salvation should not be reduced to a moment in time when you needed help, but it should be your very reason for living. I am alive today as a testimony of Jesus Christ, church, that I would have been dead if it was not for Jesus. I would have been completely far off and I would have been completely missed the mark of my purpose and my life and my calling if it was not for Jesus 
And I say this with urgency. The the ignorance of this salvation is why so many still live in the flesh. The ignorance of our salvation of what it is that he's actually done for your life is why so many fail to walk according to the Spirit. Because just like Jesus died and was crucified, we too are daily to crucify our flesh and die to ourselves. So that one day through the precious shedding of his blood, we might too share this great gift, the inheritance of the saints to meet with him forever. Remember just for a second, church, when you received Jesus. How many of you remember that day? Go back in the files of your mind and just remember the moment that you said yes to Jesus. Can you recall the moment? You should be able to. If you grew up in church and you say, well, I've always known him. No, you haven't. I need to clarify something for you this morning, my friend. Growing up in church does not mean you're saved. Choosing Jesus and submitting to him as Lord and confessing him is how salvation comes. I wasn't raised in the church, so I know the difference. I was raised in a home that never talked about Jesus. We just had a photo on the wall. I don't even know why. We had a photo of Jesus in the kitchen. I guess so he could watch us eat. I have no idea why he was there. And it was a very kind of dark picture of Jesus. I guess he didn't look very nice and happy, you know, and so I didn't really understand what that picture was growing up. And I was never told about Jesus till about the age of uh, 14, 15 years old. And then finally when I realized and learned what it was that, that, that who he was and what he did for me, it, it, it completely transformed my, my thinking. It completely transformed my, my life and my purpose because I said, hang on a second, I owe him everything. I owe him everything. There's not enough that I could do to ever repay him for what he did for me. You see, when you wake up every morning knowing that you're not worthy, but yet he saw you fit to die for, oh man. That truth humbles you. It humbles you and it brings you back to that place where it says, I owe him my life. So I ask you the question, how many of you remember the moment that you were born again? I believe in that very moment for every believer, there arose within you a great desire to tell somebody about what he had just done for you. How many of you remember that? Man, when I got saved, they couldn't shut me up. I got saved and it was like, man, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Have you, know, have you known what he's done for you? I guess they still couldn't shut me up. I'm still doing that. But how many of you remember that moment? And in that place of receiving him as your Lord and Savior, the automatic response to knowing him as Lord is to tell somebody. The automatic response, the automatic reaction from your life is that I have just been saved. I was lost, but now I have met the creator of the the heavens and the earth, and he has saved my soul. And the first thing that should come from your lips is Jesus is Lord. The rescued become the rescuers. This is the plan of God. Those of us that were truly rescued and you know from which he had rescued you from. You know from which he had redeemed you from. All of a sudden it changes your life and now your purpose is to tell others that there is a rescuer and his name is Jesus. 
There is a rescuer for your soul. There's a rescuer for the pain. There's a rescuer for the, for the horrible things that you've done. But there is a rescuer. Amen. How many of you have ever led somebody to Jesus? Just raise your hand. Not enough hands. I'm going to say that right now. Everybody was quick to raise their hands when they said that they were saved. Everybody's quick to raise their hands and say that he died for me. Everybody's quick to raise their hands when they said that, you know what, Jesus has done so many things for my life. But listen, it's not to shame those of you that didn't raise your hand. It's just to tell you that we've got to get on track. We've got to get on track. I witnessed and I've seen the power of God in my life, and therefore, I owe it to the world. I owe it to somebody that is still outside of the plan of God for their life and outside of that redemption for their life. I owe it to them to tell them about Jesus. I owe it to them. We owe it to them, church. Can I share what the scripture says regarding this? First Peter chapter 3, and verse 15. It says, in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. But he goes on to say, And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In your hearts, revere him as Lord. Revere him as Lord. You see, if we're not fulfilling the plan of God for our life, then we're not revering him as Lord. There's actually a lack of reverence in that place. There's a lack of submission to God when we're not doing what God has already commanded us to do. Sister Pearl's doing this. Amen, Sister Pearl. That is a that is a absolute soul winner back there. And the Lord has recounted everything that you've done, sister. And the Lord will not fail to bless you many, many more times over, not only in this life, but in the life to come. You see, kingdom looks like submitting yourself to it. Now your life is no longer your own. That's what him being Lord actually means. It means that your life is no longer your own, but you were bought at a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus. But as I reverence him as Lord, then all of a sudden I am positioned now to be prepared to give an answer of the faith that I now profess. The Lord that I now confess as my, as my Savior, he isn't Lord of your life if he cannot speak through you. That's a hard truth, but that is the truth. Because if he's Lord over your finances, or maybe he's Lord over your Sunday, or maybe he's Lord over your Wednesday night when you go to church, or maybe he's Lord over the times that you're with other Christians, but he's not Lord when you're face-to-face -face with a person that's drugged and hurting and hell-bound, then I would question to say, is he Lord? Because he must be Lord over everything, every part of your life, my friend. Every part of your being. He didn't deposit his Holy Spirit in the earth so that we could be wimps. <laughs> Say amen. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power? The Bible says in 2 Peter that it's a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control or a sound mind. You are empowered to do the work. 
Amen. You are equipped to do the work. Because guess what? I don't save anybody. His word and his spirit saves. All I'm supposed to do is just be the messenger. It's simple. It's so simple. The Holy Spirit didn't give us himself so that we could be fearful. But in Acts chapter 1, it says the Holy Spirit was given so that we could be witnesses. How many of you know what a witness does? A witness is a person that has seen something, right? And that is all they're doing is they said, I have seen the power of God. I've seen the salvation of God in my life. And guess what? This is how it went. Jesus saved my soul. That message, it's so simple, but yet it's so few and so often not said. The Apostle Paul brings this point of emphasis to the church of Rome in Romans 1. In verse 16, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He said, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. He says, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross, it is the power of God. It is the very thing that we cling to. It is the very deity and doctrine that we must behold, church, because that very precious truth is what led you to him. It's why you are saved. It's why your sins are washed away, amen? It's a powerful word, and his word is powerful, and it teaches us of a holy God sending his sinless son to die in our place so that his righteousness could be credited to us. Man, that's good news. I said, man, that's good news, church. And if you are a witness of God's mercy and grace, then this story must be told. Can I tell you that evangelism, because pastor's been talking about evangelism the last few weeks. You know, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men. I'll say it one more time. Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but it is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. Amen? The whole purpose of evangelism and witnessing is not to encourage people into our church. Some of you are smiling and some of you are like. The whole purpose of evangelism and witnessing is not to encourage people into our church, but to encourage them into a right relationship with a loving God. There's a difference. They'll eventually get into the house. They'll eventually become a disciple, amen. They'll eventually become part of the community of believers. But the whole purpose was never to encourage people to show up to a building. We're getting it wrong if if we think that that's the way it's supposed to go. My God is not limited to four walls. My God is not limited to just, you know, a, 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 a building or a, or a place where, you know, he is supposed to inhabit. No, no, no. Our God, church, the kingdom of God is so much more expansive. It's so much greater. Do you know that the Lord probably saves more people outside of the church than in it? 
Oh, man. I better go. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, who ended up writing 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, thought he was living for God. How many of you know the story of the Apostle Paul? He thought he was living for God. He had done all these exploits for the Lord. And in his early years, he was then known as Saul. And he was a well-studied man. He was a master in the law. And he had studied even under some famous rabbis in Jerusalem. And Paul had worked with a particular group that persecuted Christians and even killed some that confessed Jesus as Messiah. This is who Paul was. He was a Christian killer. And he thought he knew God. He thought he was, a, he was a guy that was being used by God. He thought that he was, you know, under the purpose and under, you know, God's plan for his life. But one day the Bible teaches us that this man had a radical encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter like, like, like no other. And in this encounter, you know, he, 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 he meets with Jesus and Jesus, you know, arrests him. I'll use that term. On the road to Damascus, Paul thinks he's still going on his journeys and doing for God and serving God and living for God. And the Lord stops him. And there was a blindness that came over Paul's eyes and and Paul became blind. And, and, you know, he, he asked him a question. He says, Paul, he's like, Lord, he's like, I think I know this voice. He's like, Lord, he says, why do you persecute me? Paul's got to be thinking like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm living for you. I'm doing what you told me to do, Lord. I'm, I'm serving you and I'm, 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 you know, going about, you know, what I feel the plan is for my life. Now, how many of you know, church, it takes a radical encounter to reshape the course of an individual's life. I'll say that. It takes a radical encounter that is a face-to-face just encounter where you have met with God and there's a, it, there isn't a single shred of doubt in your life that you met with God. It takes that kind of encounter to reshape the course of your life. Paul has this. Paul encounters Jesus on that road. And I want us to read the story in Acts 26 and verse 13. About noon, King Agrippa He said, as I was on the road, he said, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. He said, and we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, he says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, he said, now get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Verse 17, he said, and I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles, and I will send you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Powerful story. He encounters Jesus and Jesus opens his eyes and Jesus tells him the plan for his life, but he also tells him what he's doing wrong. He also makes it plain and clear. He's like, Paul, you've got this completely wrong. You're persecuting me. They're my people. You're persecuting me, Paul. We got this backwards. 
I need you to understand your purpose, and that is this. You're supposed to go out to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'd like to propose to you, church, that I think that some of us need to have an encounter with Jesus. Some of us need to have a radical, life-transforming, life-altering encounter with Jesus because you think you're serving him, but instead you're misrepresenting him. Sometimes we think that, oh, because I exist in this building and I come here and I come and go and I, and I say all the right things. And, and pastor, I even pray for my food when I'm at Whataburger. And we think we're doing all the right things, but yet all of a sudden we're not preaching him and we're not telling others about him. That is a misrepresentation of the kingdom. When Jesus appears to you, it's not so we can continue down our path. It's so we can get on his. The Bible says broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. There's a difference. When you encounter Jesus and he reveals himself to you, he appoints you as his servant and as his witness to tell of what he has done for you so that you can do for others. This is what happens when you encounter Jesus. When Jesus appears to you, he rescues you. When Jesus appears to you, he sends you. Amen. When Jesus appears to you, he empowers and he equips you. Amen. When Jesus reveals himself to you, it's not just for our own enjoyment, but it's to open the invitation of salvation for others to receive him. Amen. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all it is. The same way that you say, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, give me a portion of you for today, Lord. Lord, that I would not live for my own will and my own kingdom, but Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That same kind of life that is submitted to him and is trusting in him and is daily believing for him, that's all that witnessing is. It's simply saying, I am just a beggar asking the king, the bread of heaven, the living God, I'm just telling you how to find him. I'm just telling somebody else where to receive from him. I was lost, church, but now I'm found in Jesus. How many of you can say that? Man, I was lost, but now I'm found in Jesus. Yeah, I give him praise. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Jesus. I was sick, but now I'm healed in Jesus. How many of you can testify to that? I was broke, but now I'm rich in Jesus. Amen. You see, the Lord is a transforming God. He does not leave you the same way. When you encounter him, all of a sudden his life and his plan and his purpose becomes yours. And we've got a story to tell, church. He said, we've got a story to tell. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, for what we preach is not ourselves. See, if you're preaching yourself, <laughs> you're getting it all wrong. <laughs> Your testimony is a part of it. Amen? But the testimony is this. The testimony is I was lost, but now I'm found because Jesus. I was dead, but now I'm alive, but because of Jesus. It never points to ourself. It never, you know, points or glorifies ourself in that sense. What we preach is not ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness 
made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Wow. The instructions of Jesus are so simple. The gospel is simple to live out. Jesus was asked in the book of Mark what the most important commandment was in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, so love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there is no commandment greater than these. You know, church, oftentimes we cry out for revival, but we cannot fulfill the most basic commandments of God. Sometimes we are hungering for things that we're saying, oh, God, I want you to do this. And God's saying, when are you going to do what I told you to do? Oh, God, I want you to rend the heavens and pour out your blessings. Oh, God, I want heaven to come. God's like, you won't take Jesus to your neighbor. You won't open your mouth to tell somebody about him. I remember that story, Pastor, of Lazarus and Abraham. And Abraham asked him, he said, Lazarus, he's in eternity. He's in the pit of hell. And he says, can you not? Dip your finger in water just to cool my tongue. There are people that are stepping into eternity every single day. There are people, church, friends and family members, loved ones, people that you know, people that you care about that you may not see tomorrow. That is the reality of the life that we are living in. I know it sounds tough and it sounds challenging because we never like to think about eternity. But guess what? Eternity is always on God's mind. God's mind has not switched from eternity because he knows there is a plan. And he knows there is a time when he's going to return. And we ask God for things sometimes, church, and we are outside of his plan. At the end of the day, the biggest obstacle to evangelism and expanding the kingdom of God is Christians who don't share the gospel. I saw a quote from an atheist uh, the, uh, the other day when I was studying. But it basically said this. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. But he says, how unloving are the people that say that they know a loving God if they fail to open their mouths to talk about him? If an atheist can identify that and say something seems wrong with the way that they're living this thing out. Something seems backwards with the way that they are professing to believe. Then maybe it's a time and it's something that should open our eyes to see, to say, you know what? I need to tell somebody about Jesus. I need to do my part. It's so simple, church. A transformed life lives to express God's love to others. A transformed life lives to express God's love to others. And the greatest expression of that love is by sharing it with somebody. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he says, freely you have received, freely give. The gospel is not something that we can contain. The gospel is not something that is just something that is sacred for the church to keep and, and bury and hold and say, oh, that's it. We're all saved. We're all going to make it to eternity with Jesus. No, no, no. The gospel is a gift. Amen? Amen. 
How many of you like gifts? Raise your hand if you like gifts. Gifts are good. Amen? Gifts are even better when you don't have to, like, buy them from yourself or for yourself. <laughs> it's happened to me a couple times, you know. Got a wife and, and, and children, and my girls are like, oh, Dad, you know, we, we want to buy you something. And I'm thinking, well, you don't have any money. <laughs> so you're going to swipe my credit card to buy something for me. It's like, thank you, girls, you know. That was very expensive, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure I wanted to spend that much on my own gift, but, you know. The idea is that we all love getting gifts. And the most precious gift that we actually contain in our hearts, the Bible says that, you know, we, we, with the all-surpassing glory, like, we contain it in jars of clay. Like, in other words, that we are the most fragile people in the world, that we are, you know, broken individuals, and we have imperfect testimonies. And it's not about our perfection or the things that we've ever gone through in our life, but it's the fact that we carry such a prized treasure within our life. A prized treasure that somebody needs to know. Some of us keep stumbling in things of darkness. In 1 John 2, 9, it says this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. First John 4 and 20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now this is addressing the church. This is addressing within the house, right? This isn't about unbelievers. They don't believe this stuff, so, so it doesn't apply to them yet. This is for the church. This is the most basic command. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But here it goes a step further. It says anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. And so I would propose to you, church, that it's important for us to identify these things because guess what? We need to do the work of God because the Lord is going to return. Amen. And I want to be amongst those. I want to be amongst those. The Bible says that there will be two in the field. One's going to go and one's not. And I want to be counted in that place where I have been serving and doing the work of God. And the Lord sees that and will one day ultimately reward that with that crown. That crown of righteousness that I'll be able to lay at his feet and say, Lord, I gave you everything that I had. I live to serve you. I live to know you. I live to tell somebody about you. But it goes a little deeper. He says this in Acts 13. This is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And it says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Some of you might be thinking right now, why would a perfect God want to fulfill his plan through me? Why would a perfect God want to have anything to do with my life? Because the truth is, church, your testimony, your testimony combined with his blood is a perfect picture of redemption. The Bible says that his blood speaks a better word. The blood that he poured out for our life is the better word. 
It's better than gossiping about our brother or sister in the church. It's better than accusing others and criticizing others with our tongue. It's better than, you know, making false promises to God. It's the better word. It's always the better word. And those that know Jesus and love Jesus and truly desire it to live for him, that's always going to be the message from their tongue. Revelation 12 and 10 says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say this. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. This is for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. That's Satan. And it says, and they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Everybody say testimony. It said, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and all you who dwell in them. It says, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. And he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. The Bible says that one day the enemy will be eternally cast into the lake of fire. Can I tell you something, church? Hell was not created for you. Hell was created for the enemy. But if we do not receive this free gift of a loving God, then guess what? That is our destination. That is the destination of your loved ones. That is the destination of somebody that you met at work. That is the destination of all those who have not confessed Christ as Lord. We have the rescuing message. We have the saving knowledge of Jesus. We have the gospel church. And the gospel means go. Can I tell you something? You are already sent by God. So many people raised their hands and said, Pastor Duke, I'm saved. I wear it like a badge. Look at me. And that's so awesome. But guess what? Go. Speak. You are sent. You have a message. And the message is Jesus. And guess what? Jesus must be preached. And Jesus must be preached to all creation. As I was meditating on this word, I just remembered what the scripture says, church. You know that the Lord is not slow, as some understand slowness. But the Bible says he is patient with you, wanting everyone to come to repentance. That's inside the church and outside. I long for the return of Jesus. I want to see the Lord once again. I want to behold his glory more than anything, church, in this life and that, and that this life has to offer me. But guess what? That means that I have work to do until I see him. We have a message to preach until we see him. Let me remind you this morning that you were not saved to comfortably sit in a pew. Let me remind you, church, that you were saved to share the glorious, redemptive plan of God to this world. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. How many of you know that the enemy is eternally defeated by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ? We need to stop thinking that somebody's already dead and gone. And we need to preach the gospel. Because guess what? I don't care what kind of stronghold is on somebody's life. Jesus is the chain breaker. 
I don't care what kind of person is like, you know what, they're an alcoholic, pastor. They've been a drug addict their whole life. I've got drug addicts and alcoholics in my family. And I've seen the righteousness of God transform their life. Putting needles in their arm and doing all kinds of foolish stuff. Addicted to things that the enemy tormented them with for years. But the power of God, church. I said the power of God. The message of our Lord and Savior breaks every chain. There are still chains to be broken in this world. There are still lives to be set free. He says, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, for Christ's love compels us. It's the energy behind what we do. It's the fuel behind what compels us to go. It's the very, it's the very thing, church, that, that causes you, even if you might be fearful, to, to open your mouth and say, do you know Jesus? I have a message to tell you. I have something that you must know today. His love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. It says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, so from now on, listen to this. Oh, man. Can, can we all read it together? Is, do I have the same translation? Uh, all right, yeah, let's read it together. Everybody say this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is the problem with the church. Is that sometimes we keep regarding people from the world's perspective and not from God's. And we're looking at people as if they're already hellbound, as if they're already tied up in chains and they're, they're thrown in hell. That is not love, my friend. The Lord would say, why are you persecuting me? We're on the wrong team if we think that we're supposed to regard people from the world's perspective. It says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It says that God was reconciling to the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and that he has committed to us the message of re reconciliation. Verse 20, he says, so we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Everybody say, I'm an ambassador. As though God himself were making his appeal through us. This is the plan. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you have heard about this revival that's happening in Wilmore, Kentucky. And the, the individual that that college is named after, his name is Francis Asbury. And he said this, we should so work as if we were to be saved by our works. Listen to me carefully. We should so work as if we were to be saved by our works, but so rely on Christ as if we did no works. What is his point? His point, church, 
is to continue to do the work as if it was going to get you something. And you know what? It ultimately will. We're not saved by the work. We're saved by Jesus. But ultimately, there will be a reward. There will be a reward for your labor to the Lord. He went on to say this, preach as if you have seen heaven and its celestial inhabitants. And you've hovered over the bottomless pit, he's speaking of hell. And you've beheld the tortures and heard the groans of the damned. If hell could be open just for a minute for you to peek inside, it would be the most scary and ugly and fearful thing that you could ever imagine. It would be the worst thing that you could ever see. If you think that your eyes have beheld some scary and ugly stuff in this world, you have no idea what is in store for those who are in hell. You have no idea the torture and the damnation and the, and the, and the, and the things that they are experiencing right now. You have no idea. And if you could peek into hell just for a second, you would say exactly as Abraham said to Lazarus. He wanted to be refreshed. And I implore you, church, this morning that we have one message, and that message is that Jesus Christ is our only hope and that he is the salvation for the world. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give. 